0: Love, talk Radio Welcome to Beach State Pandemonium A production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network Where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be With conversations from those who paved the way And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Beach State Pandemonium
1: Michael Norris.
2: I, I, uh, I hope you're not expecting a raise or anything, because you finally got that thing figured out.
1: Well, I tell you what, if we'd have taken bets tonight on how long it was going to take to start, I tried it twice before the show started, and I think it runs in a cycle of three on time, and then it goes into outer space for a while, but
0: uh,
1: <laughs> uh, we hit it. We were talking, you know, you're not, in radio, you were always told, don't talk about what you talked about before you went on the air. But uh, we were doing that tonight, and I'm not going to get into it, but, uh, you know, you start chatting like that, and the next thing you know uh, it's showtime, you know. Yep. It, uh, and, and there you are, not, not prepared, but, of course, we're all prepared.
2: Oh, yeah, prepared as we get. <laughs> but Yeah, well, I think you'd have uh, have to earn a raise. I'll double your current salary right now. Sir. Oh,
1: thank you, Mike. It's just like the uh, Georgia Department of Defense and – uh, Thirty years no, up with the, them, and the
3: still make has, the same he's the only radio person among us, and it was driving him crazy that he couldn't
1: figure that thing out.
0: <laughs> that's right they're not supposed
1: to as as Bob Bobby would say, you're not supposed to have dead air, and uh that's that's the other thing you're taught in radio no dead air, your audience will leave and go somewhere else if they don't hear anything when they tune in until you got to uh uh radio in the in the FM days, the early days where they would play the long play things and and uh, your audience would be imbibing on something that would keep them uh from not knowing whether the next uh record had started or not, you know. So didn't matter to them man. Uh something'll <laughs> come on here in a minute.
0: Yeah.
1: That might make well, anyway, my impression.
2: <laughs> welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday November the third. God, it's already yeah. November. This is Michael Norris along with Jay West and Bobby Simmons and we'll have Les Thatcher joining us here shortly. Jerry Oates is uh unable to be with us um today so uh, or this evening, so he said uh tell Les High for him and uh he'll be back with us next week. And uh Bobby's probably gonna be distracted because the uh Falcons are playing the Bucks tonight. But uh, what did you guys
3: think of the World Series? I thought it was—I thought last night was one of the best baseball games I have ever seen. You in know, my life.
2: Leo Garibaldi couldn't have booked a better
0: baseball game in
3: the uh, I know the, advert, the uh, network loved it
1: because it was the highest-rated, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, World Series in history. And uh, you know, the spots—you, you, the spots—really, you know. Go Kazoom when you when you start doing those kind of ratings you can really sell them for a high price. So I'm sure they were excited about that.
2: I mean uh-huh. they, they they uh they featured two comebacks and a
3: rain delay.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had oh, uh,
3: I watched I was listening or reading or something today, I don't, I had to go up. <clears throat> I was officially released from my eye doctor today. I'm officially healed, he said. Oh, great. Uh, but he said that I was reading or listing something there in the doctor's office. They said that the ratings last night, they drew a 25% share. Yes. That means one out of every four TVs in this country was watching that ball game last that's night. That's right,
1: and that's unheard of today.
3: Whew. Good gracious, that's a lot of folks. Them Super Bowl numbers. <laughs> yep
1: well you look you look back in t v history back when you only had you know the four networks or the three networks, and uh, the number of people mashed through with the final episode for a two and a half hours show and how high they were uh but you were only dealing with uh, two or three other networks at the time you didn't have all these U- UHF things, and the cable wasn't that exciting uh but for a, a game to draw. That kind of numbers today—that's uh, uh, that's outstanding. Yeah, because you got
2: you know you got streaming services and everything else, but mm-hmm. uh, you know I think everybody was was looking to see, and I'll be honest with you, I I, I expected when the World Series started, I expected the Cubs to win, but when mm-hmm. they were down three to one, and I said they got to win three in Los Angeles, I mean in uh, Cleveland, there's no there's no way.
1: But That's they a great it. comeback. Yeah, great comeback.
2: And uh I'm sure I heard uh Bo James and, and Misty James screaming all the way down here in at, Atlanta
3: from <laughs> Fall Yeah, range, I, was, Tennessee. I was working on uh I was working on notes for the memorial service because I figured if they lost that, you know, they were both gonna die right there on the spot. <laughs> so, uh but I tore those up today, so yeah, it was a great, great, great series. It was. I enjoyed it, and uh, and uh, if it is a workman, I love the Booker. He did a heck of a job. Yeah, no kidding.
2: <clears throat> I just hate uh, that uh, you know Justin Hayward didn't do any better, but he had a big played a big role without even you know doing much in the game. He was the one that uh, during the rain delay, he pulled them all aside in the weight room, and you know. Gave him a pep talk and sent him right back out there, and they made the comeback. So, but I think the uh, the Braves saw the writing on the wall with him, and when they decided to uh, let him go, trade him. Yeah, he never was. I mean, he was always popular here, and he was a, he's a great fielder, but he just never was the uh, the hitter they expected him to be. Despite hitting a home run his first at bat. In Atlanta. <laughs>
3: but well, you know, he played high school ball problem. about five minutes from your house and about ten from mine. Really? Yes, sir. He played at Henry County High School right here in McDonough. That's where he's from. They drafted him right out of the high school.
2: I didn't know he was from McDonough. I knew he was from Metro Atlanta. but
3: Yeah, yeah he played at Henry County High School. Hmm.
2: So, all right. Well, give me just a second. Let me give Mr. Thatcher a call and get him on the line with us, and we'll go
0: from there. Hang on.
3: Have you talked to Da-de-da-da-da-da-da... him, I hope Les has come out of his shell. <laughs>
0: Da 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 da
3: da
1: da 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 da. That was the. I
3: give you a little story here while while he's getting him on the phone. I've got a young lady in my church that's got to have cataract surgery. She's got to have it on both eyes. A little older than me. We we grew up in the same part of town. She is scared to death, and I've tried to reassure her that there's nothing to it. But somebody has told her so many stories. She came into church the Wednesday or the Sunday after I had mine done, and she looked at my temple area. And I said, "What are you doing?" She said, "What did you do?" I got hole you guys at? back on. Yeah, we're here. Yes,
2: we
1: are here. We were talking about ourselves again. Yes. Your
2: favorite subjects. Yes. <laughs> you know, they. You need to be more humble, like Mister Thatcher here.
3: Uh, has Thatcher come out of his shell, or we're gonna be able to get something out of him? Well Les, I know you uh
2: I know you follow the Redskins in football. Are you a uh, baseball fan at all? And if you are, do you follow the Cincinnati Reds or Did I lose him?
1: Oh. <laughs> Hello. Well hang Da-da-da-da-da. on. For our next trick.
3: We may not have the best show on T V but we definitely have the, the, the the worst technical show
1: There you go That uh, music That, that uh,
3: was used by a comic sing.
1: A comic named Art Metrano Art uh, Who would do little uh, uh right, let me try it again here Gimmicks Like uh, You know he was doing magic tricks That were nothing While he would sing that song And he would do the whole thing Through his whole routine And then he'd fall on the floor After he was done <laughs> so so did the young lady feel better Bobby after talking yes, to you Yeah,
3: she thought she would have been told that they drilled a hole in the side of your head to do a cat Oh, oh. Because she was saying well, I can't even see the scar and I said what are you talking about I mean she just scared to death
1: uh, uh, you know people think about having something done to their eye I mean you know even getting a speck in your eye and it just it's you know it it's terrible uh, so something like that's gotta really scare the heck out of somebody. It, uh, it did me. Were you able to were you able to drive before legally before the,
4: Les, the- got to You. Your- oh yeah.
2: Yeah. Less have yeah. I got you now?
4: You, I guess you got okay. me Have you got right. me. I got <laughs> you. <laughs> so, yeah, I got Bobby and question. Jerry with
2: I mean Bobby and Jay with us too. Jerry's not able to, to be with us tonight but he said to to be sure and tell you hello. Where is, what's he question. doing? Running up and you- down the beaches? Yeah, I guess he's uh He's pushing alligators back into the water or something. I don't know what he's doing.
3: I had just asked the question, has Thatcher come out of his shell? And I got dead (laughs) air. And I thought, well, here we go again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's
4: all I got to say, Bobby, is (laughs) dead air.
2: But I had asked the question when I thought you were on the line with us. Did you watch the uh, final game of the series last night?
4: I did, yes, yeah. It, it was, uh, you know, being an Ohio boy, I'd like to see Cleveland win. But truth was, I thought it was good for baseball. It was a good series. Um, I thought, geez, it'd be great if wrestling was that entertaining. But no kidding. <laughs> <You> mean <today's laughs> right.
0: I
2: mean said that uh, Leo Garibaldi couldn't have booked a better better game than that one was booked last no, night. No, well,
4: you know, and then like with the NBA thing, I go on, you know, seven games and course that was great with Cleveland winning but you know in that seventh game of the NBA playoffs that lead changed uh, hands twenty five times so you know uh some of the great stories aren't written, they just happen, don't they? That's true. And that is true. After a hundred and eight years, Cle- uh Cubs finally win one. That's well, I mean not, you know, like I say I I think it's great for baseball. I I think it's Sure. You know, the story is its a great story, Cleveland or Chicago. but was Chicago. Yeah, because Cleveland
2: hadn't won since 48. Right. So, either way, it was going to be historical. Yes. Hysterical, either way.
4: I, honestly, it was, I thought it was a great series. I thought every game was good. But, again, so what prompted this, guys? I mean, well, do you guys get bored or what?
2: No, it's just we hadn't had you on in a while, and you're always uh, – Good, a good guest with us, and I. What brought it up to me is I've been working on uh, my uh, Gulf Coast website, and, and I do a yearly recap for every year as, as to you know what all the angles were and who wrestled who and who did what right. and what town and who was in and all that stuff. And uh, I got to November of uh, '63, and the uh, the Boy Wonder Les Thatcher popped up on a Panama City card, and I thought, well, you know.
4: In 63? Not
2: 63, 66, I'm sorry.
4: 66.
2: Uh, I was going to say,
4: if I popped up in 63, I I made a hell of a jump. Yeah, 66 was the first time that, uh, actually, Kirby and I, the first time we worked down there was, um, actually, we were still uh, working for Leo. Uh, but they used us um, uh, on a Saturday, Friday and Saturday for something. They borrowed us and used us, and that's when they decided that they needed a a fresh baby face team to work with the Daltons on the on the Louisiana end. So then we you know made arrangements to leave Atlanta and go in down there.
2: Now just a little background for those who don't know your history. Um, Jay found the earliest match we found for you was in nineteen sixty against
4: Ron Hill. That was my fir- that might have been my first match. Blue Hills Main July the fourth, nineteen sixty was my first pro match. Yeah. That's that the, what, uh, what I've got here yeah.
1: in uh, Blue Hill, Maine. Yes, sir. Does that, ring, does that ring a bell, so to speak? It it does uh,
4: faintly. Yes. No. It, yeah. That was that was my first match. Actually, I worked twice that night. But yeah, that's uh, I, that that was uh, the start for me, July the fourth, nineteen sixty.
1: Do you uh, do you remember what your payoff was that night, List?
4: I do. Twelve bucks. Okay. For I work twice for now, twice. so, yeah. yeah, yes, and that's the night, that's when the guys, I started training in February of 1960, and they smartened me up the morning of July the 4th, 1960.
1: Hey, hey, well, what did you think you were going into prior to them smartening you up?
4: I thought, well, I thought we we're going, you know, well, see what they did. It, well, to begin with, when I first went up there, I was 19 years old. Um, anyway, you know, it was a closed shop, so they handed me my butt um, for the first week or so. I mean, they, you know, they were going to test you. They weren't going to smarten you up and if you weren't going to stick because it was a closed sure. shop then. And uh, so, I mean, they had their fun with us. You know, some of the older, you know, some of the uh, veterans that would get in the ring and, and you know, jerk around with us and then they'd have us work, you know, sh- shoot with each other for their, ben- you know, for their entertainment. But the way they taught us to work without actually smartening us up was they'd say, well, okay, uh, Mike, you, you and Les uh, go through the holes. Now realize, you know, nobody's getting paid for this. It doesn't matter about when or we just want you to know how to apply the holes properly, but don't put any pressure. So they were basically teaching us to work. Right. You know, without I mean, and then uh, you know, you kind of got a feeling, to, you know, later on that maybe, but you were smart enough not to say so because if you sure. had said you uh, thought absolutely. it was at work, they would have shown you it wasn't. So absolutely. <laughs> now this was yes. this was for
2: Tony Santos, right?
4: Yes, absolutely. That was, I guess, the very first wrestling school. How you know, I tried um, to get into business around here, and it just that, you know, I, I drove to Reynoldsburg, which is where Al, Al Haas' offices were. And uh, they said, you know, kid, you need to get, get some more, put some size on. I was about 175 pounds at the time. Put some size on and, uh, you know, get some more experience. I didn't know where I was supposed to get the experience. But <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, I picked up Wrestling Review Magazine was the big magazine at the time, and yeah, magazine uh, on the newsstands. And um, there was a story on Tony Santos' And it showed a picture of his ring and his building and, uh, you know, how he was giving young athletes an opportunity to break into professional wrestling. So I sent him a, a letter um, and got a, a clever little trifle back, you know, tell me about the whole thing. It was 300 bucks for six months. And uh, so I got on a Greyhound bus here in Cincinnati February of 1960 and went to Boston to, to make my fortune. Hey! hey. <laughs> who I'm were his trying. trainers? I'm still, I'm still waiting to make my fortune. Yeah. yeah. I, well, one of the, one of the guys who actually I spent a lot of time in the ring with, uh, I actually had his first match in front of a crowd with him a year later, and that was um, Gene Santos, Gene Dundee, yeah. Flash Monroe, Fleisch
0: Monroe, The Red yes.
4: Devil, or whoever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know that was Tony's oldest boy. Right, and and he was smart to the business, and he you know he wrestled in school, and uh, worked out with a lot of the older guys there. But for whatever reason, Tony didn't want him you know breaking him in at the shows yet. So uh, it was him, a guy named Kurt Douglas, uh, not the movie actor, obviously, but an old uh, old carny shooter, and and Ronnie Hill, and uh, you know I mean some of the other guys just stopped in from time to time. But Wasn't that Billy a Graham
2: that worked up there? was That was, a
4: that was the uh, I broke in with th- this Billy Graham, was uh, not the Billy Graham you guys. would know. No, no, this no, guy, no. I know that.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah, th- yeah. This guy was a uh, owned actually a fuel and ice business in Boston. I worked for him. I worked for him for a while on that truck, uh, as well. But he he had a um, a karate background. He had been in the service and. Uh, had a karate background, nice guy. He broke in the same time I did. Oh, okay.
2: I uh, was thinking uh, he was yeah, there yeah.
4: A, ahead of you. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Luke Graham started there. There's
2: a lot of guys that started out there. Ronnie Garvin.
4: Uh. Well, uh, Ronnie. Yeah, I think Ronnie started actually with, um, uh, Ronnie Dupree.
2: Ronnie Dupree uh, was well. Now he'd been at
4: Goldie had been in the business probably five or six years at that point. Alex Medina uh now Roberto, Chris Colt, Soto Yeah, Chris Colt, I never met be I still have, I I've never met him. He started after me. Um but uh Pat Patterson was there. Um uh, Tony um who else? Uh Ron, I mentioned Ronnie Garvin, uh, Terry Garvin.
2: Terry
4: yeah, was there, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh you know, it was uh there was no TV or anything, but he, you know, there was no opposition for him in New England either. So all the little towns. Uh, da, 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 da. Did we lose you again,
1: Les? Do what?
2: Oh,
4: just see. Uh, he, I, we got like dead was,
2: space again. I thought we. Yeah, it sounded like he's gone.
4: Uh, um, I've been gone for years, kind of. guys. <laughs> That's the last thing you want to hear that is that we was lost.
2: All we lost before Pfeffer came in, right, and started doing the...
4: Well, Pfeffer Sam, was San in Martino. and out there. Oh, was he? Yeah, he... As I understand it, Tony, uh, Pfeffer had bailed Tony out financially years before that. He was hit hit a, uh, a bad spell, I guess, and, and Pfeffer helped him out. But you could always tell when Jack was in, the, the goofy names popped up in the right. program, and so forth and so on. But, yeah, it was, uh... But, well, you know, uh... Fargo, uh Donnie and and Eric Pedersen, uh yep. Pfeffer sent them in there. Uh they were with Pfeffer as the Mr. Americans at the time. Right. Right. And uh we, I mean we got some big uh Pat uh, Pat O'Connor worked in there, uh Rocca, Furpo, uh the Bernetti well Joe Tangero and Guy Bernetti wrestled as the right. Bernetti brothers, they were in for shots as well. Um Bull Curry. Killer Kowalski was both in and out of there. Well, now, um, the promoter out of Montreal, Eddie Quinn, ran the garden. Uh, Tony ran the garden a couple times, I think, in, in, I was there in uh, 60 and 61, and um, he ran the garden a couple times. But Quinn would come in uh, from Montreal and run the garden and bring in, uh, you know, the big guns, Rogers, Valentine. And the Kowalski and that whole crew. but, right. um, but Tony had a, I mean he had all the beach towns and well, Revere Beach, which was a subway ride for us actually, from Back Bay where we lived. Um, it was on Saturday nights. Brockton was a regular a regular town. Um, but he uh, during his summer he ran Nantasket Beach, Old Orchard Beach, uh, Revere Beach, uh, you know, all, a lot of the beach communities, especially through the summer.
2: Now how did the cousin to get started? You and Dennis were in Calgary together, weren't you?
4: Yeah, well we yeah, well the three of us actually when I met them they were they were both uh, just getting started for Barnett. I, you know, I've been I started in 60, I'm not sure exactly. Uh Dennis I think had been working about as long as I had Kirby started right after that. Uh but anyway, we all we got to be friends here and you know working for Barnett. Uh, and then later Bruiser and Chic out, you know, uh, around here. So, um, they were in Atlanta in 66 and for whatever reason, Hall was going to Florida and I had been in Arizona, uh, for, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a guy named Ernie Mohammed who ran arrows out of Phoenix for a while. But anyway, um, so I was just working some spots in here for Bruiser, and uh, they had sent me a letter about Atlanta, and I sent them, you know, sent them a letter back. And I was a big Garibaldi fan as a kid. When he and his dad, Leo and Gino, were a hot babyface team, you know, on Hollywood uh, Legion Stadium wrestling, and uh, Leo was a hell of a babyface. I mean, he was talking about a babyface with fire on his comebacks. Leo was the guy. But anyway, uh, they called me one day from the Atlanta office and said, uh, we're going to put Leo Garibaldi on the phone. He said, these guys said, uh, you can work. Are they lying to me? And I said, well, I hope not.
0: I'm not <laughs> sure.
4: <clears throat> he said, well, would you like to come in and work with us? And I said, yeah, I sure would. I'd be sickle to death. And he said, well, Hall's leaving, so uh, Kirby needs a partner. Now, Hall and Kirby were cousins by marriage. Right. Um, so that was the only legitimate thing there. And then we just, I don't even know why, how we came up with the idea or why, we just did. Thought, you know, t- most tag teams had some sort of hook, and that was ours. So that's, that's how the whole thing started with uh, Kirby and I in at Atlanta.
2: And you were the actually, like I said, I mentioned you in Panama City. You were the first of the three to come into the Mobile Territory. You came in on November 17th. Your first match was in. No, I, I'm. I'm maybe missing some. Some cards we, here because my clippings we,
4: aren't complete. Like I say, we came out. Kirby and I came in and worked Dothan on Friday. What was the Saturday night, Florida Town? Uh,
2: Saturday night was Quincy. I don't have Quincy, Quincy Florida. Yeah. First. Yeah. 60, okay. 69. So
4: anyway, we worked. Friday night. We worked. Um, Dothan Friday night, Saturday night, in Quincy. And Rocky McGuire and and Lee approached us then and said, you know, we're looking for a a fresh baby face team. Uh, So anyway, we, you know, said, well, let us go back to Atlanta and talk to Leo. And so that's how the whole deal set up. And actually, we didn't work. uh, When we first came in, we didn't work Mobile at all. We we actually ended up moving down to Louisiana and spent – uh, the rest of '66 and part of '67 down there. Okay, but
2: this the Panama City card I've got. You wrestled the uh, in the opening match against the Cuban Assassin,
4: who was you knew
2: Chico Cortez.
4: You who that Cortez. was. Chico Cortez. Yeah, yeah, Chico. Yeah. Well, when I yeah uh, he well he worked. I guess the first time I ever worked with Chico, I think it was for uh, Fred in Columbus uh in 66 so he must have been bouncing. this is before he became an entrepreneur Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> sir. <sorry.
2: laughs> <laughs> oh before and I'm sorry I don't mean to c- cut this off but before we get into this we I don't know if you've heard but we lost Mario Soto no the day before yesterday
4: no I had not heard how did that happen
2: he died of old age <laughs> he was 86 years old
4: was, was he, he really to a lot yeah. of guys you know in the biz now or was in the I, you, did, I had no biz. clue
2: he was even still alive
4: but well, I I had no idea that he was that much older than me
2: yeah he was born in 1930
4: wow well, you you yeah. were only
2: 17 in
4: 67 so i mean you were just you were a baby yeah you know? right i i i what my age went the <laughs> other way born the, in
2: these clippings anyway so oh i
4: i know i know that was rocky <laughs> McGuire's uh <laughs> Brainstorm. They couldn't get Bobby Shane in, so they
2: made their own Wonder Boy.
4: That's true. That's exa- well, you know, Kirby and I went into we went into uh, Louisiana and as as original team, and then the deal was supposed to be uh, when Hall came in after Christmas, we we're going to work with the three Daltons because uh, Johnny Long out of Tennessee was Bob Dalton, and for some reason he didn't stay in the territory. What re- I don't remember why. But anyway, so Kelly
2: this, Kelly turned a bear loose on him and
4: chased know, him mind. across the street. <laughs> Lord, Lord knows. <laughs> but but, but uh, so anyway, it ended up being Bull Ramos and and Frank and Jack against Kirby and Hall and I. Yep. But uh, yeah, we we just we I enjoyed. That's where we first uh, worked with Lucas. Well, worked actually with Kenny on both. You know. for, uh, as a he was a heel at that time.
2: He was a heel in Louisiana and a baby face up on the Mobile end.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And then and then he was a baby face in, in uh, Nashville too. That's where right. I got the opportunity to work with him as a partner some. Uh but yeah, uh Don Carson was uh Danny Little Bear was there. Uh well I'll tell you a funny the funny thing is we f- went in our first uh, I did on the mobile end. We, uh, Kelly, for whatever reason, wasn't in Dothan and Quincy when we were there. Uh, for what I'm, I'm not sure why. Because Roger anyway, didn't want to use him. Probably not. No, that's
2: exactly what it was. Kelly told well, me. Well, he was the booker
4: though when when Kirby and I started in Morgan City.
2: Yep, he and was a booker in, in Louisiana because they had let Bill Golden go. And yeah, uh, and <clears throat> Kelly had gotten close to Lee, and so Lee made him the booker.
4: Well, well and he's still here, a referee. The crazy thing was uh, when we first walked into the building in in uh, Morgan City, is this guy came up and introduced himself and said, "I bought tickets to watch both you guys in Louisville. I'm the booker."
0: <laughs>
4: and Kirby looked at me, and I looked at Kirby, and I said, "Okay, <laughs> whatever."
1: That was <clears throat>
4: you know because we weren't well, you know we weren't that that many years in, right? I mean, six years. And uh, if he was buying tickets to see us in Louisville, we hadn't worked there in a couple of those years, so he hadn't been around too damn long. You know, so, I mean, it was just a question of – and then Lee did – you know, we had a lot to say in our own matches, and Lee uh, was always involved in that too. But anyway, it was a good run. It was a good run. I mean, working with Lucas and and Fargo – my God, that was a night off anyway. I mean, it was – We I don't know how many times we went 60 – Kirby and I went 60 minutes with the Daltons. I'm, hell, I'm probably in every major town in, in the territory at one time or another. And then we did the crazy thing in um, Baton Rouge where um, we were going through an hour, and the timekeeper – I don't know if, if – uh, Lee had told him or somebody had, you know, we'll, you know, cut him a little slack if it's, you know, the match is going real strong out right there, you know. But anyway, the problem was he cut us like three or four minutes, and we were beating the hell out of the heels, right? <clears throat> the problem was some fans were keeping time.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
4: That happened. So to the fans, we got shortchanged, changed, Right. And, and they they almost rioted that night. I mean, they went to the timekeeper. They thought he was in cahoots with the heels, and or you know was paid off or whatever the case may be. I've still got the clipping somewhere. In fact, I, it was on Facebook. Uh, it, I think it's in my stuff on Facebook too. But the next week we did ninety-minute time limit two timekeepers to to rectify this whole thing. So. That'll teach us to cut five minutes off. And yeah, I was that. looking. I was
2: trying to find the clipping, and I, maybe it didn't happen in Louisiana or in uh, Baton Rouge or Alexandria, which is where I've got the clippings for, where they had the uh, the mark referee.
4: That was that was in in uh, Alexandria. Oh,
2: was it okay? Yeah, My Alexandria clippings for '66 and '67 are sporadic.
4: Yeah, I you know what? I never saved clippings back then. I don't know. I mean, a few I'd pick up. Excuse me, guys. I'm, my sinus change of seasons and my sinuses act up. Um, I don't have a bunch of clippings out of there either, but yeah, it was the mark. Referee was in uh, in Alexandria. That was where Kirby thought we'd go all night by him asking for five more minutes. We got we got sixty in, you know, and, and it was nothing. I mean, baby faces, give us five more minutes. Well, the referee right. liked us, so okay. He gave us five more minutes. And at the end of those five, Kirby asked for five more. And I said, if you ask for another an additional five, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> I mean, but it was uh, – it, it was, we had a lot of fun there. We really did. And uh, it was, you know, it was good, Terry. I didn't have near as much fun in Mobile because I was only 17 years old. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now, Alexander, that was uh – Midge Monroe's town, right? She was a promoter there, wasn't she? Yeah,
4: yeah. Or, or was she and Sputnik still married at the time? You know what? I don't really remember. Spuddy wasn't there. Um, he was
2: there he, the year, and he was there in '65. So I think he was really, you know, running the town. He just he put everything in his, in Midge's name, but then I
4: guess, yeah, when he moved um, went but, back
2: to Texas, she continued on.
4: Yeah, I think so.
2: And we ran matches
4: too. See, I don't know. I
2: I I have clippings for Alexandria, Opelousas, Baton Rouge, a few from New Orleans.
4: And we never uh, uh, we never worked New Orleans when we were working for Lee. He didn't run New Orleans when we were there.
2: No, they started in sixty summer sixty seven, and they didn't run no. there weekly. It was a it was a spot you know here and there,
4: Lafayette. Uh, I was we were, yeah, I was yeah. talking to somebody about uh, Natchez and Fargo the other day. Um, we worked a single up there for some reason. Uh, I guess Kirby probably worked with with Frank, but anyway. Um, for, uh, back back then, the fans didn't cheer the heels, right? I mean, it they, they, was pretty cut and dry. Anyway, yeah, they'd, they would uh,
1: be, the, be, be run out of the arena if they uh, clapped for the heels. Yeah, you know.
4: Well, there was these four college kids had front row seats in Natchez this night. And they were cheering uh, for Jack Dalton, Johnny Fargo. And uh, in the middle of the match, I don't remember what we were doing, but all of a sudden he stopped whatever we were doing and bailed out. And I thought, what the hell hell is he doing? Where where is he going? (laughs) And and he got out and stood over these four kids and basically said – if I hear you cheer for me one more time, I'm going to come out here and kick all four of your asses. <laughs> Got back in the ring. We went back to work, and they were quiet. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yep, that's what happens. Exactly. And then we it's had a big riot in La Ranger. We, uh There was a highway pat- uh, Louisiana Highway Patrolman, two of them in uniform, that were watching the matches. And, and you know, back... Then a lot of times, a lot of places, you went back to the lock, dressing room between the falls. And uh, we were going up one aisle in Fargo. Uh, Donnie it was uh, Donnie Fargo and and Lucas against Kirby and I, and uh, they were going up another aisle, and some woman threw a, a box of popcorn at him, and it stuck on Luke's uh, sweaty chest, and he just, I mean, he just flicked one of them off and it happened to hit one of these highway patrolmen and they took offense Mm. to it. Now they, they weren't wearing their guns. They didn't have their They they were in uniform, but they were off duty. And he, they had denial and the next seat in on, on the heel side that they went back to the locker room. And the one, the guy that the popcorn hit came up out of his seat and sucker punched Fargo and it was on. You know, and of course, and the male fans in Larranja figure well, if the cops can do this, we can, we can all join in. <laughs> and uh, of course, it was up the faces to get you know between the the heels, and the, I I took uh, Luke and Kirby took Fargo, and we got them back in the dressing room. And I remember uh, we were you know Kirby told the promoter he said, "Unless you can guarantee," us, that "You know, this is not going to happen again." He said, "We're not putting their their them at risk out there because." You know, the cops are throwing punches, so that means, you know, there's no way to control these damn people. So we never finished that particular match in you know, La Rancher that night. God, it was a lot of fun. You know, today when you talk about riots to these kids, they look at you like, What the hell is he? Doing? Why would anybody want a riot? All I did was sixteen hurricanes and dove through the ropes forty five. <laughs> One of these
2: these Louisiana clippings or Baton Rouge clippings is I don't know if it was a match with you and Roger against the uh, Daltons or not, but we read the write up in the paper has a bit about uh, Fargo getting hit over the head with a with a nightstick from one of the cops. And I've heard him talk about that before.
4: Oh, it was. Uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy.
2: Now, but, you again, know, the, Baton Rouge had a had a female promoter too, uh, Mrs. Jimmy Kilshaw. So they never used her real name or her first name. She was just always Mrs. Jimmy Kilshaw.
4: Yeah, right. Because Jimmy yeah, Kilshaw
2: was the longtime promoter in there before Lee ever came in there. Um, yes. And then he died in fifty five, fifty six, something like that. <clears throat> so I guess she just. Kept the
4: promoter's license. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, but it was, you know, we had, when we first went down there, Kirby and I got a a trailer over in Mobile, and then we realized we weren't going to be on that end of the territory. So then finally, uh, when Hall came in, uh, we I I went home for Christmas. Kirby stayed down there, uh, and then Hall I came I came back with Hall. Uh, I flew home and then then rode back with, with Dennis in his car, and uh, so we got a, a duplex over in Baton Rouge, and uh, finally moved over on that end. But we didn't even, we thought we'd be working, you know, probably both ends, and it what didn't work out that way. So we ended up living in Baton Rouge. So it was uh, it you know it was easy. The trips weren't all that bad. Lafayette, Alexandria. Natchez, uh, Morgan City, Thibodeau, La Ranger, uh, Opelousas, um, Lord, I don't know, bless a million other little spot shows. The thing uh, I re- the uh, thing I remember Mau 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 Mau, I don't Mal, Mal, know. Mau Mau, Louisiana. Mau actually.
2: Mau is how it's pronounced.
4: Mau or Mau Mau I, I don't re- remember either one, to tell you the truth. I don't
2: know. No, I think they ran a spot show there in sixty seven after you were already gone.
4: Yeah, we killed that territory. No, <laughs> so yeah, so we we but we had a good run over there. We did, and I get I, I, part of the deal when we came back in, into Mobile was we saw the value in me looking young because it was easy to get heat. You know, it was like you know Mike was uh, Tommy Rich or you know any any baby face that I when I when I first went to work for Barnett, uh, I was twenty one years old. And they asked me to show proof of it. I mean, that's how you the pictures I sent in. How young I looked. They wanted they wanted to see ID to be sure I was old enough to, uh, you know, work uh, to work. But yeah, but least you know, there they was never. Well, of course, and I, Kirby and I were the first two in, and then, then Rocky and Mobile decided. Well, if Atlanta's got a, a teenage sensation, we need to have a teenage sensation as well. So Les Thatcher got to be the teen ed he went from age twenty six and a half to age seventeen. <laughs>
0: hey
4: hey. In the course of in the course of moving from Baton Rouge to Pensacola. It was all well. it took.
2: because yeah, yeah. then they put uh Kirby and Hall together and they had their runs against uh
4: the Carsons. The yeah, well the Car, Yeah, that's well Ronnie Carson, uh, Dickie Murdoch. Dick
2: Murdoch, right.
4: Yeah, yeah. He was just getting his feet wet in the business at that time. Um, funny, we, uh, Kelly and I worked against him and uh, the, him and Donnie um, on Pensacola TV. And I forget what the finish was supposed to be. But part, in, in setting up for the finish, we were going to have a four-way. And uh, Murdoch was going to slam me, Ronnie Carson. And so anyway, about... A minute and a half before we go into the finish, a damn ring support broke, and there's a big hole in the middle of the floor. And green as grass, Dickie Murdoch was going to slam me anyway. And I blocked him. He said, I'm supposed to slam you. I said, not thou, idiot. <laughs> he was just going to do what he was told to do. And I, but, no, I'm not taking this slam. I blocked you twice. I, I said, knock me down over here, but I'm not going down that damn hole. So, anyway. But, yeah, that was uh, – but the trips were – you know, the trips weren't bad. It was short. The good thing about um, – on the Pensacola end was uh, hooking up with Eddie and, and Lester and get, getting the run in, in Tampa. So. Yeah, you happened. left, and then uh, Kirby. The Dennis
2: was there a couple of weeks after you. Kirby stayed the longest. He stayed – um, all through April,
4: yeah and he came there. down he he came down to Tampa. They put us together in Tampa, and we got over too good and got heat with some of the top people there <laughs> that's a fact too so there was
2: a guy that uh that you worked with a lot up on the mobile and you worked a lot of opening matches with him and i've asked you about him before, and you couldn't remember his name or who he was he 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 used two different names or two variations of the same name up on uh, the Panama city Dothan end. He was Gordo Zabo. And in Louisiana, he was gentleman
4: Jim Zabo. I don't remember that. I swear to God, I don't. Well, you I think you remember Kelly
2: a him a lot too. And I asked Kelly about him and Kelly didn't remember him either. So I don't know
0: who this guy <laughs> was. <I got laughs> Maybe to. he
4: was so good. We forgot work. I mean, we didn't know we worked with him. I don't, I don't remember that name. I swear. I don't, um, I don't remember working that well, you know, in a lot of these smaller towns too that back then, they would you know, it wasn't unheard of to send four guys in to get six ma- I mean to get three matches. Right,
0: exactly. Right. They put Charlie two Pence singles in a tag.
2: That. Or do a, a five man battle royal where the first guy out it gets to be the referee the rest of the night and then just, the other two go out, they'll be in a match and then the last two will be in a match.
4: Yeah, or something like that. <laughs> they but did yeah, that a they called how was that
1: working when but there was you know, just a couple? When there was just a couple of guys going into the town, like you're talking about, and you you knew you were going to work work along, you know, uh, to give the fans a certain amount of time. H- how did that differentiate between working where you had a lot a lot of more, you know, a lot more guys working a big show?
4: Well, you told a story, and you took longer to tell it, and most all the matches were, uh, you know. Well, the tag, obviously, would be two out of three. The others might be singles. But, you know, we were still getting a two-hour show out of three matches, guys. Oh, yeah. Wow. There, again, if you tell some of these indie kids where you got 14 matches on one show and none of them goes longer than six minutes, they look at you like they think you're nuts. How could you do two hours of three matches? And They're They're all next 15 minutes of work.
3: (laughs) That's what I was just fixing to say. They 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 not got smarter than we are, and they need 14 matches. where we could do it with two or three, and, and uh, uh, you know, we could cause a riot. And, and they couldn't cause a riot today if they had a gun in their hand.
4: Uh, they, the only two,
2: riot they cause is, when they, is among the boys when they don't pay them.
4: Oh, well, both <laughs> well that, know they're that's, not that's, a, that's going the one in. good thing about if, if you're going to act the fool for WWE, the checks don't bounce. That's a good part <laughs> about it. <I laughs> right. Think. It's. Uh, I was teasing somebody yesterday. I said, uh, somebody the week before told me Raw couldn't get any worse. And I said, but they met the challenge. They did. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I even watched one of their programs. Well, uh, you know, if I I didn't do uh, the podcast, if I wasn't still working in the industry, to be honest with you, I don't see my – they have ruined more good talent doing stupid comedy. Uh, Carl Anderson started with me. He and Gallows – well, Anderson was a top guy in in Japan, for New Japan, right? He and Tanahashi had a big title match about two years ago. But Carl, you know, they had a contract. They were under contract over there for a long time. And the minute they signed with WWE, they turned them into, you know, are trying to turn them into clowns, and they're, that's not their gig. And uh, they, it's, it's, I'd say disgraceful. It's not disgraceful. <laughs> but it's it's not the product that you and I, but, you know, that we grew up on, or even close anymore. And sad, the sad thing is, there's no emotional tie with the fans. You know, that's... No, that's, that's what I was part. going to say.
2: All that to, you're talking about getting, you know, two hours out of out of three matches, the fans didn't
4: go home disappointed either. Well, you know, we were talking, and when when I brought that talk about that Baton Rouge ninety minute thing with the timekeeper, uh, I mentioned that one time on in a conversation on a show I, I I was on, and they said I can't even imagine the fans caring enough today to keep time.
1: Right. Oh yeah, and, that's you know, not you what it's about, all about. That's not what it's all about. You know, uh, it's it's not the length of the match. It's how many two- or three-minute matches you're going to see with everybody out there doing whatever they're going to do and the women taking their
4: clothes off and,
1: uh, you know, the whole bit.
4: Uh, well, if the women sure. were taking their clothes off, I would be paying more attention, but <laughs> they're actually not. <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not dead. Uh, absolutely. Sure. I right, actually pho- then finally got. Go ahead.
1: What I was just there? wondering if you kept a photo album of all your different hairstyles while you were, you know,
4: work working. Uh, not on purpose, but I probably got a bunch of, you know, <laughs> a bunch of them. I mean, I never kept it with the thought, "Well, I want to preserve this for for historical purposes." No, I never did that. I mean, it, that, it,
1: but, you know, it's it's and and all the guys did it. I know, but uh, you can kind of look at the however your hair looked for your, you know, your promo picture or for whatever you're doing and you could kind of place where you were and what, the what
4: year it was, you know? With. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the crazy thing when in, um, I started growing a mustache in Nashville and, uh, started letting the hair, you know, uh, get longer there too. And when, it, uh, when from, eastern canada back to nashville then to tampa that was in 71 and then from tampa danny miller and i went into the the carolinas as a team and at that point i had facial hair and hair over my ears and no uh, other than jerry briscoe was the only other baby face in the territory that had anything like that and the first day in the office george becker said well you know gary hart's got a mustache too and i said okay (laughs) Um, You know, and he said, well, somebody should have to uh, shave. And before I stuck my neck out, which I would have done because I wasn't about to shave, the old man, Mr. Crockett Sr., said, "Uh, hey, baby, I like the mustache. So that was the end of that conversation. But we were, yeah, Briscoe and I were the only two baby faces that had hair over our ears at that point in time. I mean, it was... uh, it changed didn't come easily to the, to the style. well you know uh back you, you guys are, are both you guys are both young what can i say uh but you know baby faces i remember jack Briscoe and i having this conversation years ago and we were laughing about it but you know both of us uh had been told you know when we were a kid you're you're of work, or it's a worker shame you don't look older because they expected the baby faces to be older you know um And I, you know, uh, it never crossed my mind, but that was the accepted thing when I was a kid, you know. I don't, Mm -hmm. well, Ray Stevens uh, started around here when he was like 16, but you, um, that was the exception. But most, you know, most of the top guys had some age on them. It wasn't, uh, well, you know, we talked about the Bobby Shane thing, the teenage uh, sensation. Uh, That didn't start until the 60s, so. And then that, and it was. Something different. That's why everybody tried to copy it. So, uh,
1: moving on yeah, up so the, uh moving up to time stream to '74. Uh, I was working as the ring announcer on Georgia Championship Wrestling in '74, and that's when uh, All South was still competing with the with the Atlanta office. And I guess, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was around October you came in. And uh, what brought that on? I, I, it looked like you were brought in to be. To work with Gordon some, and also to work work matches
4: some. Yeah, that was the craziest thing in the world. Well, <clears throat> actually, was, uh, the first time, the first match Gordon and I ever called together was Watts and and Tim Woods, and that's floating around out on YouTube somewhere. Uh, but I came down from Charlotte. Just it was like a test run, you know. Right. They wanted to see how Gordon and I – and that was actually the Saturday after Briscoe beat Harley for the belt in Houston because Briscoe uh, took the red eye in that morning, and we had him on the air with us. Um, but uh, the deal was, you know, Jack, Jack had bought in. Woods had a little piece of the action. And so part of it was, you know, I'd been working TV uh, and uh, stuff, helping in the office up up in Carolina, so they wanted me to come in to part of it. Part of the deal was to phase Gordon out. Okay? So he, because he was flying in every Saturday morning, sometimes on Fridays. But, uh, you know, even after I got there, I was picking him up at the airport every Saturday morning. Anyway, so Jimmy Crockett didn't want to let me go. And they were having a tussle. So Eddie Graham calls me. Eddie also had a piece of the Atlanta, NWA Atlanta side. And so the deal was, well, they don't want to let you go. So here's what we're going to do: you give your notice, and on your way, and when you come down the road to start in Tampa, you drop all your furniture and everything off in Atlanta, and you come down and work for me a month, and then you go back to Atlanta and do do what we want you to do in Atlanta, right? And I'm thinking, oh my God. So in the meantime, Jimmy finally gave in to Jack Briscoe and said, okay, if the less ones, you know. So anyway, I was still doing there, doing just a a smaller version of the Mid-Atlantic magazine that we did later at that point. But I was still doing that, but I moved to Atlanta, and part of the deal was to work in the office, do the weekly program, uh, handle public relations, and, of course, help produce the television. And uh, it was going to be built into, well, that's why Leo put me uh, in the, the, I won the first two-ring battle royal in Atlanta. Yep. The idea was that I was on TV because I was out with an injury, but at some point they were going to work me in. It was going to. Well, we we did. Uh, Shane and I worked in Macon off of uh, Fred's TV. I went. I was in helping whoever the lead announcer was there uh, on TV. And Bobby, I did a, a a trial run there where we got into it on at TV, and then we came, you know, came the house show, and I got juice. And anyway. But Leo was planning on pushing that in Atlanta and you know in Augusta and all the major towns, uh, and so that you know the the ownership changed every five minutes. So that was part of the, you know part of the deal. And then crazy thing was Leo and uh, Watts and I sat down one day and we we're talking, and they said, "Well, we had thought maybe we would let Gordon stop coming in." And I said, "I don't think that's a good idea." And they said, "Why?" And I said, "Well, we're trying to emulate, or you know, the professional sports atmosphere in this town. The Hawks have a broadcast team, the Falcons have a broadcast team, the Braves have a broadcast team, and up, you know, and a broadcast team in wrestling up to that time was not a common thing. You know, I mean, heels or babyfaces might sit in, but you know, well, Capra when the split came, Capra was doing the Atlanta TV." you know Gordon was doing you know there were there were no co-hosts at that time right and I, so I said to 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 kind of compare with you know what we were doing currently then I would say keep Gordon and they they agreed with me so that's you know why Gordon continued to stay I was also doing PR work and and uh, had lined up had a couple of the Hawks on wrestling we were it was a fiasco I was supposed to send uh, wrestling, Mr. Wrestling, Timmy, with masks and pictures to a Hawks game. He's going to be introduced at, at courtside. He's going to pass out pictures <laughs> and sign autographs, right? And uh, that was a great thing. And they decided, no, he needs to work this town that's going to draw a couple hundred people. Mm. And I said, you people are killing me. I mean, you know, <clears throat> trying to to get it. and we had some. There was a, a Bobby probably remembers Ludlow Porch what, Ring Radio. Yes. Oh, yeah. He was big on sport. Bob Hanson was his real name. He used to do some writing for uh, Sports Illustrated. Anyway, we got in good with him and and uh, Armstrong and I were on that show. So you know we had guys, but that was part of my gig too in the office was to help with PR and and uh, stuff like that. So anyway, uh, then when Barnett buys in, right. Then all of a sudden, uh, I'm, I'll he he called me in and he said, you know, that's that's where Les the name Les Thatcher came from, from Barnett. He gave me the name Thatcher when I went to work for him in '62 uh, in, in in Indianapolis. So anyway, uh, he called me in, and you know Leslie, you know we I gave you the name and you do a great job, blah blah blah. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. And of course. The people that this conversation about are all gone, but I swear on their graves and everybody else's. He said, "You know, um, I just can't afford two announcers here because I have to have my chauffeur in and my, and my limousine and this and that and the other thing, and it's just not in the budget. And I want to buy into the Tampa territory, and to do that, I've uh, obviously I've got to kiss Eddie's ass. And I mean, that's just what he said to me." And he said, which means that I've got to keep Gordon and I'm going to have to let you go. Now, I've already called Charlotte and George and Jimmy would love to have you back if you want to go back there, right back to the same situation, you know, working uh, with the television and, and uh, you know, wrestling and, and the, the whole nine yards you were doing before. And I thought, why not? It's right up the road. So that's, I talked myself out of that spot, I guess. Or, or you know, probably if if we just sent, stopped Gordon coming in, if Barnett still had plans to do that, he would have shipped me out and brought Gordon back in anyway. But the reason Gordon had left before that was basically because I thought it wasn't a good idea. Uh-huh. So, uh, you just never know how things work out, and uh, you don't. You really don't.
2: Somebody asked me something the other day, and you three would be the perfect one to 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 give me the 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 right answer when all south and. Georgia Championship Wrestling were are taping in the same studio. Did, did they change the setup at all? Or was uh, the ring did was a ring permanently there or did it belong to one group? It was or the, the other? same ring. We all
4: both yeah. used the same ring. Yeah. Didn't
3: the yeah. up either. Other than maybe you maybe they would take the N W A sign down.
4: Right. I mean, yeah, it was
3: pretty was, same death, same everything.
4: One, one. In, I remember, one I remember pass, passing them, them leaving. Hey Ed, hey Les, you know yeah. they're leaving, and, and we're coming in some some Saturday. Oh yeah, because we taped,
3: we taped right after they, they did the first. They had the first hour, and we did the second hour, because they had to right. make Columbus TV. Right, working on the clock yeah. too. and that yeah. was
1: one thing that Gordon was was really great at, was uh, you know his timing. Uh, and uh, you know, you didn't stop. Uh and uh, he knew when to go from the open promo into the uh, commercial part. And uh he, he was really good at leading the guys that were, you know, kinda green and, and not knowing exactly how to how to make that happen. Uh you know he, he uh, was a mentor. I, I, I enjoyed a mentor. you on the show but but Gordon was one of a kind, there's no doubt about
4: it. Well if you if you're looking for an argument you won't get that here. And,
3: you know, Gordon something else, too, that people, people don't realize, when we started, when we did those TV shows, when that tape started rolling, when that opening started, 57 minutes, 57, 30, 58, 30, whatever it was,
0: when that time elapsed,
3: you were through. The tape yep. didn't stop and start it. You know, I think in the whole time I did Atlanta TV, the tape might have stopped one time, and that was due to some kind of technical difficulty.
4: Yep. But, uh and you know what we the only the only thing we had to go by is we'd sit down in, in the uh, meeting before we started, you know, with a with a format, say, okay, and this is the second match is so and so and so and so. What do you want out right. of this, uh, Leo? Well, we we want to get this guy over, plug him hard, and Gordon. Uh, we'd make notes in, in the margins of our. Uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'll spit it out here in a minute. We'd make in, in, the in the margins of our format. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I needed. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, and, and that was it. We, we were do it was an improv thing for us too. We were just calling it off the top of our heads. I'll tell you this, is one of the funniest was well, funny when it happened. It may not be funny when I tell it, uh, gordon's daughter and, and uh, son-in-law put it in the book didn't get exactly the same but anyway uh and the desk we had in atlanta was high and the, and the, the chairs we sat in were the ones they had the air chamber right where you you know pump them up and, and let them down depending on the of the height so anyway uh we we're working one day i don't remember what the match was but we're we're working, and all of a sudden, out of my peripheral vision, I see Gordon start to disappear. The air chamber had sprung a leak in his chair, right? <laughs> and and so he's starting to he's starting to fade down below. The, and just before he gets his eye gets his eye level gets below the countertop, he said, "That's the way I see him here, Les. How about you?" I picked it up. and <laughs> The only people that knew that it happened was Gordon and I. <laughs> he just pushed a chair out of the way and stood up. And we went right on about our business. <laughs>
0: so,
4: Gordon always be kept a
3: and,
0: <laughs>
3: Gordon always uh-huh. kept a back timer sitting on the desk, off off of the, off the off to the side. You couldn't see it from the camera, but that's what he he you know he counted down and then he knew when he was getting down. He had worked out sure. a signal with me that he would uh, if I when I was referee and he would rub his throat. And I knew I needed to get out of there in the next, you know, thirty forty five seconds. I'd buzz the guys, right. and we'd finish the matchup. And uh, I'll never forget. You know,
4: we used back timers uh, uh, when we did all the promos up at uh, up in Raleigh on Wednesdays for Crockett. I I had I had a two minute twenty second clock in my head almost. But you know, we did a hundred or more of those things every Wednesday morning. Yeah. And uh, we used a back uh, timer for that. So I you know, when I went to Knoxville. And, Started putting the TV together there. I said, "You guys got a back timer?" Yes. Okay. <laughs> but that, yeah, you know. But but those back timers came in handy. Now they have 16 people in your ear trying to tell you what to say when you're trying to say something else. And well, the 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 industry itself is, is uh, micro managed and overproduced to the point that it's it's not fresh at all. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but you know, Gordon mentored a lot of uh, Ross. Will tell you that. You know, he picked up a lot of stuff. Everybody, I think, picked things up from Gordon. I never considered. You know, as a kid, I wanted to be a, I always thought being a disc jockey would be cool. Um, you know, like the fifties disc jockeys and and you know Wolf Van Jack and that sort of thing. But uh, I knew wrestling commentators for the most part that I'd seen up to up to before I saw Gordon were guys who. Were the local stations, Weatherman or Child, you know, right. had the kiddies program or it was a news sure. guy. And a lot of them spent more time putting themselves over or, or, you know, talking about the matches tongue-in-cheek than they did, you know, getting the matches over. Until I finally went to Tampa in 67 and watched Gordon work, and I thought, my God, he does it like it's a shoot, you know. And uh, so I never thought... Once I started doing it for Rudy in 1970 up in Eastern Canada, I never thought of doing it any other way. Never crossed my mind. You know, he was. I, I, I was. I worked with a lot of good. You know, I worked with Lance. I worked with Ed Capra. I worked with Charlie Platt. Worked with Gordon. I worked with Ross at Cottle. I mean, if there's somebody better than those guys, check in with me and let me know about it. Uh, it, you know, every and a lot of people, well, how was it? They were, there was never a transitional thing that ever happened. It was professionals, you know, guys. Just, you, you know, you get pick up somebody's cadence. Okay, if you're the lead announcer, then he's picking up your cadence. If he's the lead announcer, you're picking up his cadence and try not to step on each other's toes. And it just, you know, it flowed. It was so much fun. I would imagine
2: that was a lot better than taking bumps every night.
4: Well, yes and no. I mean, listen, I enjoyed working. I did. I, uh, of course, we had a lot of great guys to work with too. That was, that always made it fun. Um, there were as a babyface, there were times if you had, I mean, uh, there were some, some, many, so many great heels. It was like you just go along for the ride. You know, you never opened your mouth. It was just they called the whole match some great there was a guy, when
2: you were down in Louisiana, do you remember a guy down, I don't know, I couldn't find a match where you actually worked with him, but he was on some cards with you, a guy that they were had under the name the Mongol.
4: The Mongol. Who would that have been? I don't remember. Mark Starr. Oh, okay, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, sure. Sure, I knew Mark. We knew Mark from Charlotte. Uh, they had him,
2: he... I, I found a one week where he was in three different towns and wrestled under three different names. He was <laughs> the Mongol long. in Louisiana. He was Mark Starr in Mobile and Joe Kono in Dothan. <laughs>
4: see see how easy it was? <laughs> yeah,
2: but I mean, oh, nobody knew the difference because, you know. And even He the, could make, the up the a, Dothan, make up a whole card. But Dothan started booking or, or billing him as Mark Starr the Mongol. Wow. <laughs>
4: Well, if you stop and think about the the miles difference between Mobile and, and uh, New Orleans is not a big distance, but back in 66 and 67, those were two separate territories, and I can guarantee the people in New Orleans didn't have a clue what the hell was no. going on in Mobile or no, vice versa, you know? That <clears throat> was, uh, that's what cable television did, and... Uh, in your opinion,
2: television, was when that, did when did the Tampa Bay Bucks start playing in in union suits? What these <laughs> uniforms uh, they're wearing? They're wearing red uniforms, and they look uh, like the old fashioned union suits. I'm waiting yeah, for one of them uh, trap door to open and his ass are show. The,
4: yeah, there's something that they every year that, that certain times for whatever reason. I don't know how far back the Tampa Bay Bucks can re- revert. They're not that old to begin with, you know. Like the Steelers can wear uniforms from the the forties, you know, and so forth. But uh, I guess the I guess the Bucks improvise and make it up. But that's probably what you're seeing. I don't know if they're ugly. <laughs> yes, they are. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. They look with like they're
2: celebrating Christmas, you know, two months too early.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what with did the, uh?
1: <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Jay. No, I go was ahead. just thinking, what what was the thoughts at the time about cable TV coming along for the guys in the business, where you know they could, with the kayfabe, they could be have an injury in in, in one territory, and uh, you know they could they could go out and start working immediately in another territory, and uh, and then all of a sudden cable came along and it kind of blew that because the audience just could. You could see the guy working somewhere else.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, there was a little bit of, of that. Florida was the first promotion, to my knowledge, that actually started syndicating their show. Because I know when, uh, of course, I had been in the Carolinas uh, previous, but when Danny Miller and I went in in 71 as a team, there were certain, s- certain cities, not the whole territory, but certain cities where they had seen us on Florida television you know, uh, because they would mention that to us. But I'll tell you the guy, you know, uh, most everybody did, had no clue, actually, what, uh, you know, I, Terry Funk was uh, one of the visionaries. That, that uh, I, I found that old, uh, from 90, I'm trying to think, it must have been 92 or, uh, anyway, one of the Smoky Mountain uh, fan weekends. And Terry, and, and it was, well, when we did the Night of Legends. It was the next day. I, I did a, a, uh, took the set down with them, uh, Terry and Dorian, in a studio, and taped it an hour with them. And it never seen the light of day. I'm gonna uh, get, get Scott Teal to edit it down. I want to put it up on, on the Weed Pro Wrestling Training website for people to watch it, sure. because we're talking about it kind of then too. You know, this is back, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I remember Terry mentioned it initially, you know, about what he thought that the, it would present problems for promotions and stuff. Uh, funny, you know, a lot of people. Uh, when uh, when I first got cable um, in Knoxville, when I was uh, producing uh, and working in the office for Fuller, um, I remember seeing. I don't remember what what network it was on, but Nick Goulish's horrible TV show. I, I'm no reflection on the talent, but it was a horrible TV show. Uh, was on my television in Knoxville, you know. And I knew what we were producing at the CBS affiliate at the time was, in fact, we were head and shoulders above everybody at the time because we were doing things that nobody else had done up to that point, or, or some would never do again for years, two years later. But uh, I, I knew we produced a, a higher quality show. And I said right. to Ronald, I said, we need we need to send a demo. I said, if Nick's getting that garbage on that network, we can get on there, too. And Ron said, why do we want to get on there? I'm not going to promote those towns. And that was his, you know, as much as a good businessman as Ronald was, he didn't envision that being important, right, to get that uh, tie-in with that, that cable setup. But, right. Uh, Terry, Terry was a visionary. Terry's been a visionary in a lot of things. He honestly has over the years.
2: What you I said, remember, What Fuller said about TV—that's <laughs> the exact same thing that, that Lee Field said. There's a reason, no, uh, no magazines ever covered the Gulf Coast territory. He wouldn't let them He wouldn't let them in the buildings. Yeah. You know, other than than little Al taking pictures in Louisiana. You know, that was it.
4: Right. Because
2: he told Kelly. Kelly said, "You know, uh, you know, why don't you let these these people come in for you know Kaitzer's people and and you know, Tom Burke is the only one that I know. He did a, uh, a story on Lee himself uh, for ring wrestling in seven sometime I guess 75. It had been late 70 late 74, early 75. Because Dupree and Colt were down there. The Hells Angels were there at the time because they were their picture was in the article." I'm that's the only person why. I know that he ever he ever let in. He told Kelly, he said, well, I don't care what people in New York know about what's going on down here. Uh,
4: when when Jimmy Crockett, uh, this would have been 70, 75, 76, when uh, Terry was uh, the NWA world champion, we'd uh, Jimmy came back from the NWA meeting and said, I, uh, we, we've got a little project. And I said, what's that? He said, we're going to do a magazine for the entire NWA. That- and I can't tell you how... Just a little project. I did one, and the point was that the other promoters, you know, we were doing the uh, the Crockett magazine anyway, mm-hmm. on a bi-monthly basis at the time the way it started, um, but they didn't know what to do with it. I mean, and, and to get material and pictures from them was like pulling teeth. I wrote a good deal of it. Just uh, please send me pictures. Give me an outline, and I'll write. You know, I mean, it wasn't like I, you know, I had ten pages to write for each promotion or anything. But I mean, the point was that uh, offices weren't well. I, I, you know, when I was mentioned seventy-three and seventy-four in Atlanta, uh, doing PR, trying to get us, uh, you know, positive stuff with, like with the Hawks, Atlanta Hawks, uh, Lester, and people like I couldn't see the value. Right? Well, they didn't see why I wanted to do that
1: the other promotions were looked at as competitors too, you know, and they didn't want to, they didn't want the audience to see from one, you know, from one territory to see what was going on in their territory, I don't think.
4: Well, it was all, yeah, a lot of stuff. Well, when uh, Bob Polk and I put together a uh, a syndicated uh, magazine show, Wrestling, called, you know, Wrestling Weekly, and, uh, actually, well, it's a long story. The reason I never saw the light of day wasn't because it was, uh, anyway, the, the people that were trying to get us syndicated went out of business in the midst of doing this, but, uh, there were a lot of promoters who wouldn't work with us, but, right? mm-hmm. uh, you know, but then Jerry, Jared, uh, you know, no problem. Mike Graham, no problem. Uh, Robert, Ronald, no problem. Geigel, no problem. Uh, Vern was, you know, Jimmy Crockett for all the work I'd done there and trust I should have built up uh, him and Dusty. No. You know, and our idea was to offset what Vince was doing with national television by, and we we told each promoter with this magazine show. Um, I've still got the pilot sitting around here somewhere, but, I mean, uh, you know, you tell us who in your territory you want to push, and that's who we'll push. We're not going to do anything negative about anybody.
2: You, you know? know, Jerry Oates and I were talking about that. That's what, uh, had had the promoters been willing to cooperate, <clears throat> that's what the uh, the TVS show could have become, something like that. Have one hour of, of Georgia and then the second hour be, you know, either you or Gordon or somebody like that that, that you know, had a good uh a good reputation as far as how you presented the the business. Do that. Feature one or two promotions every week, and then the yeah. next week do two more. And, and you know, <coughs> push the whole thing. And that would have been one way, like you said, to battle what Vince was was doing. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason. And
4: here's the crazy thing: it would have sold. We, oh, absolutely. Uh, we found uh, we found a a a how a, a guy that syndicate. You know, whatever they call their the company that does syndication. We were based out of Nashville, and they were recommended to us. So anyway, and and the last time we had a meeting with them in Nashville, they had cleared 18 markets, and we had to clear 26 uh, to start production. But at that point, we had cleared Atlanta, Philadelphia, Fort Worth, to name some of the bigger cities that were going to pick to show up in syndication. Right? And I already... I had roughed in 13 weeks, uh, you know, of outlines of what I wanted to do and we were prepared to travel. In fact, I had done some traveling to get some of the stuff we used. But uh, anyway, the head of this company had been partners in another company doing the same thing, and uh, somebody decided to sue this other company. And so the guy who owned our, the company that was syndicating our show was told if he didn't shut down his current company, then he could lose that. Wow. So he had to close his doors. So we're sitting there with like three months to, to start all over again. Right. And it just, it, we didn't have the time. And the, there were some people that put money into the show that we would have had to wait until the next season, right. To get to, to go into, you know, and they weren't prepared to invest up to that point. And, uh, we didn't have the the capital to go on our own, so it just we had to kill the project. Yeah, that was. But uh, yeah, that, that was
1: that would have been very, uh, you know, that would have been a real downer to be to put all that time and effort into that. And you know, by the time cable came along, where audiences uh, could uh, see several different promotions, particularly Texas uh, and, and the Carolina shows and and whatnot. Uh, they were hungry for that they they wanted as you said they wanted to see the matches from the other areas and uh, it 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 you know they just weren't they weren't getting it you know they uh, and it, and would have, it would
2: helped it. it would have helped the boys out a lot because I mean you know somebody gets stale in Kansas City, they can come to Atlanta, and the people are already familiar with them because you know you 've been featuring them same right. thing you know anywhere else that you would have featured and you know would have given the yeah, guys a whole lot more places to work, as long as you kept Bo- bulldog Bob Brown off your T V, you'd be all right.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, excuse
4: me. Do you yeah. think uh said. Yeah. Well, uh, go ahead.
1: I was just thinking, do you think splitting your time between uh working in the ring and uh doing the PR work and uh the other things that you did outside the ring uh helped your helped your career as a professional wrestler you know your your in ring uh work or did it hinder it to a certain extent do you think you know well you know,
4: I, I i think it kind of hindered it to a to a little bit because you know i was juggling more i was juggling a lot of balls at the same time and so i had you know uh i couldn't work a full schedule in ring and um uh, so yeah, it, well you know from from November of 74 to November of 77 I was jumping between Knoxville and Charlotte on a weekly basis. My month I, you know I'd be in Charlotte Monday, I'd sit go in the office and sit down with George uh, George Scott and and um and we go through the you know every, all the promos that needed to be done and the stuff that needed to be done in Raleigh. I would wrestle a couple nights. I had all my paperwork put together, my uh idiot sheets to do promos. Like I say, we used to do a hundred promos on Wednesday morning, then then tape the the two shows Wednesday night, Cottle's A show and then the B show. For a while I was the host of the B show and then Ed Capel came up once uh and closed her doors. But
0: um How
1: how long did Ed do that I show?
4: All, I don't know. He was still there when I left. When I left in seventy seven he was still there. Okay. We've had some questions about um that. Yeah, I don't remember, to be honest. I do not remember. But uh anyway what I was doing, I was work I was in the Charlotte territory Monday through Thursday. Then I catch I get on the uh Piedmont Airlines in Charlotte Friday morning, fly to Knoxville. Uh Fuller and I would have lunch, go put the T V together. Work Knoxville Friday night, produce TV Saturday morning, work a house show Saturday night, get back on the plane Sunday, fly back to Charlotte, and start all over again. Wow! So I did that for for three years. So I was. Uh, thank God I was young. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least according And to your thank remote. God I was having a
4: good time uh, because it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was, it, you know, I look back at it. It was a grind, but I loved every minute of it. I, well, you know, he gave me. I had all these ideas for television, and a lot of guys looked at me like they thought I was nuts. Even younger. I mean, Jimmy Crockett Jr. is not that much older. You know, I don't know actually if he's any older than me, uh, but, uh, you know, he wasn't that open-minded. And when when Fuller bought Knoxville. When he called me to uh, want me to come aboard, he said, I don't know anything about television. You'd have carte blanche as long as it makes sense. So we did a lot of things that nobody had ever done before. And, um, you know, a lot of people said we couldn't do it until they saw it work. And then they said, well, I want to do that too. But uh, so that was the thing for me that Ron, you know, put that much faith in me. And, and turned me loose, and, and we had put together a hell of a product, uh, which we were very well, So proud that program
2: of. was the first. You, you started the, the personality profile thing.
4: Yeah. You, you guys split did, screen. did the,
2: the split screen, the instant replay. Yeah. You're the first one I remember ever doing any kind of promo package on a wrestler. Even before Jared started doing the music videos, you were doing voiceovers for promos for, like, you know, Stomper and Tony Charles
4: and right. Joe that Duke, stuff's on YouTube like too. Yeah, yeah, that stuff's out there on YouTube. Uh, we did we did <clears throat> Garvin with a plane. I I don't know where that one's at, but yeah, I wish I had copies of all that stuff. But yeah, well, you know, part part of the idea, you know, um, I wish I could tell you that I just got stoned out of my mind and came up with all this in, in a burst of mental energy, but I didn't. Uh, you know, football. Uh, NFL back uh back then they didn't have four ex players as analysts at halftime so they uh, where I first came up with the personality pro well two things first of all uh in 66 when, when I first came to Atlanta the first time I was on TV Leo said asked me said is this drag racing thing that you sent me the picture, is that a shoot yes I've been driving race cars since was 15 years old. Do you know anything about drag racing in Georgia? Yes, because some of the national champions are out of Georgia. And, I saw, and I, you know, so I do know something about it. Well, I'm going to have Ed ask you about that because you're not involved in any programs right now, you know, in any angles right now. So um, we talked about wrestling, but Ed brought up, uh, you know, drag racing as well. And then the next time I was in Augusta, this lady uh, told me, she said, my grandson would like to get your autograph. Uh, and uh, he was, the kid was probably 14, 15 years old. And uh, so anyway, they stood and talked to me, and I said, do you come to the matches here at Bell Auditorium with your grandmother uh, every week? And before he could open his mouth, she said, uh, this is the first time he's ever been here. He comes and watches every Saturday, but he never wanted to come until he saw you talking about hot rods. And I realized I'd sold a ticket. Right. for a wrestling match because of my hobby. But anyway, then to move fast forward to the the NFL thing at halftime, they were doing what I – I don't know what they called it at the time, but I called – you know, they were like personality profiles. Like, for example, and what kind of fascinated me was, you know, like, say, a Dick Budkes, uh mean, slobbering, you know, cussing, animal, defensive uh, linebacker, they, they they show him his hobby is – Making pottery or something, just 180 degrees different, right? But it gave you a, another look at the person from it, and it gave you some depth of that person. And I enjoyed those things at halftime. And, and then I realized NASCAR. That's what what is NASCAR? Your favorite driver drives a car like yours, right? I mean, I say like your, you know, the same Ford or Toyota or whatever it happens to be. So I'm thinking, why aren't we doing that? So. Ron, that was my chance to find out, and it worked. Um, We got a lot of feedback from people. But, you know, that to me, if I had two hours a day or three hours on Monday, instead of some of this stupid-ass comedy they do, which isn't funny, uh, I would would do uh, video packages, uh, you know. Some of these guys have extremely interesting backgrounds, Um, you know. But I think it also gives the fan something else to grab. Hey that guy went to the same college I did or hey he he's got the same hobby I do or he likes the same football team I do. So it, right. it just gives you more to grasp into that character. You know, and that, person. that
2: was one of the things that always made Gordon unique as well. Because I know I used to just, you know, do jobs on on T V but he would always come to the dressing room if it was somebody that like me that wasn't there every week that he wasn't familiar with, he'd come ask you something about your background, and then uh, he would embellish it and then bring it up during your match. If you lasted long enough. That's walk, what I was going to say, if it lasted he long it
4: enough for him to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, when, uh, but he when was started, always doing that. When I started in the office of Crockett, I got uh, file cards. I had everybody fill out questionnaires. Back back then, their astrological sign where they went to school, uh, their hero as a child, whether it was an athlete or Lone Ranger or whoever they happened to be, but I got a lot of information and we kept a set of those cards. uh, You know, I brought those with me to Raleigh and shared them with Bob and everybody. I mean, again, uh, you know, some of this stuff is so stupid that they do today and there is no the character the characters are so shallow that you know these people can't live like this, right' <laughs> You're, yeah, well you know uh, it's just it's a, it's, a, it's it's a whole different ball game, but the point is, and I'm not going to get into a long rant about the fundamentals of of, of emotionally hooking somebody haven't changed in fifty years and are not going to change in the next fifty. that's still the same. Uh, they're they're trying to reinvent the wheel for some stupid reason, and I'm not sure why. But anyway, it's it's a shame because there's some good athletes there that uh, are capable of telling good stories. They're just not doing it.
1: Well, it's kind you, of a um, plug-in process. You know, they come up with an idea for a character, and uh, you know, if if that guy doesn't work, they pull him, pull the plug on him, and plug somebody else in. And, uh, he doesn't but get you to know, that's that name. the crazy
4: thing is there are people there that's got to be as smart about this as uh, what I'm about to say is is simple, just common logic. When Dusty passed away, everybody was saying, "Oh, well, you know, Dusty was so unique," and, and Dusty, and, and I said, "But you, do you understand why Dusty stood out? Why? Well, he was the only one being Dusty. Yeah. There was only one Dusty. There was not a hundred. And now." Everybody has to have a gimmick. Everybody has to have a catchphrase. And every character is so over the top that none of them stand out. Just everybody, you know, everybody is a character. And nobody wants to live there to
2: to push a a figurine or a a T-shirt with their catchphrase on it. I mean, that's what their function is now.
4: I know. Well, you know, they've got over a million people signed up at $10 uh, a month. For their network, and they're selling merchandise. House sure. shares are down. Number ratings are down, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But with that network, they don't. No. The fact that you're getting less than a quality product doesn't. They don't care. They don't have to.
2: Yeah, because there's no competition.
4: Uh, exactly. I mean, the only
2: wrestling I watch, other than digging out old tapes of or old DVDs of. <clears throat> you know, stuff from the 70s, 60s, 70s, and even 50s. I watch the uh, Lucha Underground. That's the only thing I watch.
4: That's I've the seen only current thing I that. watch. Well, NXT, the crazy thing is NXT is closer to what we're used to because they don't turn around and talk to the audience every 30 seconds. Uh, it's, it's not all, you know, it's, it's about working holes and stuff. The crazy thing is they take those same people that got over doing that on NXT and move them up to the main roster, they turn them into jokes.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: They turn them into, you know, and it's even booking. Uh, you beat me, I beat you. This It's the same storylines over and over. Uh, you know, they do different, different – uh, they do stuff that we did years ago, but they do it every week. You know, uh, the whole distraction thing. You know, as a babyface, I come out and distract the heel that I'm feuding with, and some guy who should never have beat him rolls him up. I mean, mm-hmm. you've seen that before. I And I think in the 20 years that I wrestled, I may have done that five or six times in 20 years. WWE does it five or six times in five or six weeks. So there's nothing fresh about it at all. You know, I mean, they just they wear things out, and they don't seem to care. So, you know, it's sad but you know the crazy thing is you still teach the same fundamentals. I did a big thing at the Monster Factory in New Jersey back in August with Rudy Gonzalez, who was uh, uh, Rudy the head, was the head trainer at my, Shawn Michaels' place in Texas, and and uh, I've worked with you know Rip Rogers from OVW and Tommy Pritchard, and we you know the uh, Rudy was mentioned one of the young guys from the Monster Factory who now works for Ring of Honor. Uh, Rudy, he and I, uh, the three of us were working one ring together and Rudy mentioned, he said, you know, we're all from different uh, generations but the fundamentals are all the same if you teach them right and if you learn them right and they are, so that's that's my goal anymore, you know, if you want to, you know what I tell guys, listen, get a good sound foundation under you, good fundamentals, understand the psychology of the business then if somebody offers you uh, hundred thousand dollars a week to act a fool, then act a fool, man, and take the money. You know? Sure, it's a bu- it's a business, you know. And I I try to tell these guys too that when I pan some, when I say, oh God, that's a horrible character, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know who the guy is doing it. I I don't like the character. It's not the guy playing the part that I'm mad at. It's the idiots that write this crap that upset me. And that's my rant for tonight. That, that, that's it.
3: <laughs> Randall Brown said we used to, we should really, the person we should get mad at is the timekeeper. He said, because they all look pretty good with the music you walk into the ring. He said, but when that guy rings a bell, then they got to work. He said, he goes downhill from there.
4: It does. He's right. So. He, he's absolutely right. Yeah, but, and, well, but you know, there's honest, a different- we had-
2: we had guys like that in our generation, too. Uh, yes, but Chris. there were more
4: workers. <laughs> and when I say workers, when I say workers, I use my fingers and make, you know, the parenthesis. Because there's a lot of sports entertainers, there's a lot of acrobats, but there's damn few workers, guys who actually yeah. can go out there and tell a story or know how, how to change things up in the middle of a run, you know. That's that's part of the problem, and, and I, it's taken me a while to figure this out, but these guys who lay everything out in a dressing room, it comes down to, uh, okay, Bobby, uh, you're not where you're supposed to be to do, for us to do spot number 10, so I've got to stand here with my thumb up my rear end while you get in position because I'm not smart enough to improvise because I've never had to. And and you know I know with Rip Rogers I know with me I, and a lot of the older guys, you, if you learn from me from the ground up, then you know how to call a match in the ring, and you ha- you know and how to shift gears if if you have to, or how to change something that may come up that you, you don't expect, and these kids don't know how to, and and so there's it's not emotional it's just pain by numbers you know, and uh, it, it, that's sad I think. Um, you know, we were talking, a story that I tell these kids about that, we were talking about Atlanta in 66, the first time Kirby and I uh, worked the old Atlanta auditorium as a team, Leo said, look, I've got these two guys that are going to be my top heels and I'm pushing them. He said, I don't want you to think I am just brought you in here to beat you, but I've got to get these guys over. I said, fine, cool. Not a problem. Uh, so we go out. I don't know if Kirby ever worked with these two guys before or not. I had never met them before. Anyway, Leo was a referee. You know, Leo refereed a lot of the matches. He refereed our match. And we went out there, and it was just one of those nights you couldn't have done anything wrong if you'd have set out to screw up. I mean, we had that old auditorium rocking, and, and, and you know, they were getting heat on us as the baby faces, We were making our comeback. And Leo's referee. And he comes around, and he said, we're not wasting this heat. We're changing the finish and bringing this back. So he changed the finish on us on on the fly right there. Now, with half these kids today, they would have had a cardiac friggin' arrest. You know, they, they would have said to stop. Wait, we've got to go back to the dressing room and talk about this. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, I mean, if, if you, you know, they don't know how to improvise if it's necessary. They've never been taught, a great, you know, a great many of them. That's the sad part. Well, they've also so, been taught yeah, yeah. you're not going to improvise, you're going to do it exactly like we tell you to do it. Yes, because we've never done it either. But we want you to do yeah. it this way because, yeah, it, it's an amazing world we live in. It's an amazing world, guys. Well, listen, I'm old. Let me jump off here. I've got a couple of things I need to do before. All right, man. Well, I them.
2: appreciate you joining us, and
4: uh, we well, won't man, wait so always, long next time it's to it's get you on a again. Pleasure. Well, and, and tell tell Jerry Oates I was waiting to hear some beach, you know, some good stories about. Those those damn women that wear those you know those nasty little tiny bikinis. I wish they quit coming around the beach. Or Or, or he's worried about he his right side got more tan than his left side because he had to ride in the one direction more. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and more than
3: the other. And Charlie Smith told me to say hello before you get away.
4: Well, good. You listen. I love you guys. I, I love him too. It's. Uh, except for except for uh, Mike, he's a pain in the ass. But no, the rest of you're okay.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, yes. No, seriously, I enjoy I enjoy kicking it around with you guys, and uh, let's do it again. Send me money. All right. All right. We'll do it. All right. Yeah. I, Wait, if I'm waiting for that, I won't hold my breath. it in the mail. <laughs> All right, man. Yes. Yeah. All right, guys. Take care, Les. Thanks,
0: Thanks for
2: joining us. All right, all right. Cool. Good Be night. good. You too. Bye bye.
1: Right. How many times has he been on, Mike?
2: Well, you know, he he was actually the host of this program before Bobby Jerry and I started on it.
1: Is that right? It was he
2: and Rich and and Mike Sempervivi, and then, then it was just Mike and and Jerry and uh, less. And then they started another program, and this one kind of fell by the wayside until Bobby and Jerry, and who was the original guy with you guys? John
3: Cannon was the original host.
2: Uh, And then then, then Larry Goodman was with you for a while, right?
3: Goodman was with us for a while, and then then when you started, it actually jailed together. Uh, John Cannon was a good host, but John was was basically his – he was from Augusta and everything he – he knew he was geared toward Augusta, so it was hard to to uh, uh but he was but he's a good guy. Uh, but you know, it's yeah, it's 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 been around a while now. I don't know how long we've been doing it. We've been doing
2: it a while. We started in September of two thousand ten. Jeez. So we have just celebrated our sixth year anniversary with the occasional, you know, the exception of the the six month gaps from when I was sick and Jay and, and Bo filled in. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Jay, I mean, Jay. You've been with us full time. What? Three years now, two years. Uh, probably at
1: least that long. Yeah. Uh, Rich mm-hmm. was, uh, doing the show, uh, with Bobby and, uh, I forget who else was on the, on the show. You were, uh, you know, I had been on as a guest a couple of times before that. Right. And, uh, and uh, you had uh, caught me down there at the uh, Nightmare to remember the last one they did of those, and asked me to be a guest, and I was. And then uh, I was on a couple more times when Rich was doing the show, and I forget who who else was working with you and Rich uh, at the time, Bobby. Uh, but uh, then Rich wanted me to be on full time, and uh, then he asked me to take over the show, but I told him I was, you know, I didn't have time to put the show together and try to get guests. Uh, But I would remain as a, you know, as, as one of the, uh, uh, you know, not the headliner, but the, or the host, but one of the contributors on the show. Uh, And then, then Bo, Bo took it over. I did. I think Bo actually did it twice. Didn't he, Bobby?
3: Yeah. Bo did it a couple of times when Michael was in the hospital and, and was going through some of his, his sabbaticals with the, with the uh, Augusta and Warm Springs, and he was on his tour of hospitals.
1: Right, uh, I'd have to. Yeah. I'd have to look back at my. Uh, I keep no a log of everything I've yet. done, and I'd have to look back exactly. But I, I do know when I was asked to be on the first time, and that's when uh, uh, I saw you that night, Mike. And it had been right. a while since I had seen right. you uh, when you asked me to be a guest. But it's been a while. Uh,
3: you've
2: been a you've been a great addition to the show.
3: Yeah, it well, seems like you. long two years. Seems like a lifetime.
2: Yeah, you're right. You're right.
3: That's what makes it good. You know, and that's <laughs> uh
2: you
1: know we Bobby's talked about that. Uh you know there are a couple of times there that I didn't feel quite up to it and I, uh you know I was going to say well I don't want to do it tonight but uh, as Bobby's always said uh, you you got to be there otherwise somebody's going to get your spot, right Bobby?
0: That
3: yeah, <laughs> is. <laughs> that is. And you know but, it's it's funny about this show. And, and I, you know, looking back, talking about six years, when Rich first approached me to do this, I gave him every reason in the world not to do it. I just didn't want to do it. And, and I thought, God, I don't have time. I got this, I got that. And, I gave it. and he finally told me, he said, look, he said, just try it. He said, if you don't like it after a couple of weeks, then you can back out. And, I, and honestly, I'm telling you, I when we don't do this, I miss it. This is my favorite two hours of the week. I uh, just I have a ball on this thing, Just and a lot of times don't say a lot. I just listen, but I enjoy yeah, it. You, you know,
1: that's correct. I, I uh, You know, even like tonight, uh, you pick your spots, you know, and, uh, and it's very interesting when you do say something or ask a guest something because you've certainly got more insight, you know, not putting you down, Mike, uh, and certainly me because I never was in the ring as a competitor, but you've got insight on a lot of things that, uh, you know, we don't. And, uh, when you say something or ask a guest a question, uh, it's spot on. So, you know, when,
3: when Ann went back in business in 85, um, she contacted me. I was working for Liberty national. I was looking for an out. I wasn't happy where I was. And she contacted me about, uh, coming on board and kind of running her office, doing the PR, you know, referee and periodically, whatever. But, uh, the first TV we did, we did it. We we taped our shows in Valdosta, the TV station there, and she brought Les in to do the TVs. And you know it's. I worked in the ring with Kirby. I worked in the ring with Hall, but I never I never refereed a match with Les Thatcher. Just we never, we just never crossed when when he was actually working. But I have done TVs with him. I've, I've just all sorts of things we've done. But one of the things he said, and I meant to bring this up but but he gets on the roll, and I just somebody asked him one time he says, "You don't get very excited when you're doing the play by play on the matches and he said, "When you've been a wrestler, you don't get excited at a hammerlock, <laughs> and I thought, what a great thought that is, just what a great you know way to look at it as as a as a former wrestler, you know." it It's gonna take something phenomenal for him to get excited about it right and when he does a show, that's exactly how he is he's very he's very even keel when he's doing his commentating and and you know but he picks his spots and if it's an angle they're working or whatever he gets it over and uh he just uh he's he's one of the you know <laughs> he's got to be right up there with some of the best that i was ever that I've ever worked with on a, on a, on the t v end
2: all right, as far as commentators go, he's he's right there with Gordon to me. I mean, yeah, it's it's one A and one B as far as the two the two of them go.
1: Well, and also the fact that he was multi-talented. You know, the, uh he as a wrestler and a commentator, and and, uh, and you know, from the fan standpoint, doing the various types of magazines and and. Uh, things that they would see in in the arenas, and then the stuff behind the scenes that they were never quite aware of. Uh, I mean, there's not many guys around that uh, were as multifaceted in the business as him. That's true. Uh, you know, one, one of the pe-
2: things that that uh, you know Les was involved with, and in Georgia when Leo Garibaldi was around, he was heavily into it, and and and. Jay, you know because you collect them and and everything and and bought them as a fan, but that's one thing that I regret about the Mobile Territory. They never consistently put out a program. Right. And Except for the the six months that Leo Garibaldi worked in the office. That was the only time they consistently put out a program at the matches.
1: Well, you know, as Bobby well knows, uh, it's not only putting out the program, particularly if you've got a circuit. But you've also got to have that little uh slip that you put in there with what's going to be the matches for that night, yeah, the card, uh, yeah yeah, if the card's not there, uh the fans are not that interested, uh particularly if they make the circuit because they've you know they've maybe seen that uh that publication, but if that uh, little if that thing's in there, they'll buy it again,
3: well, you know something too that the, when I first started going to the matches back in the sixties. Uh, you know, they, they printed the program for Atlanta and, and the, the card was actually printed on the program.
0: Yeah. Right.
3: And then after, you know, as, as time went on, somebody finally got the idea to think, well, Hey, we can do a generic program with pictures because all the, all the ringsiders that we did, all the pictures came from Atlanta. Yeah. We, you know, the old through the years, different photographers, uh, You know, when I took over the program after Freddie left, Emmy Yates, who was a fan, uh, sat on the second row every week, made pictures from her seat. I started paying her to take pictures every week and uh, moved her from the second row to a chair up by the ring.
1: Yeah, she always uh, did the pictures. She did the pictures pictures. for all the Wrestling News articles that I did.
3: Right, right. And, and, you know, it was uh, a... But, yeah, there was... There's a lot more to a program than people people realize. Uh, one of the things I did when I took it over from Freddie, I brought back an article by Paul Jones. You know, now Paul never wrote yeah. one. I would write him. but I would go to Oli and say, "Hey, tell me something. You know, you got somebody coming in in the next couple of weeks we can plug, or I would ask him something. He just to give me just give me a something, and then I would do a little two paragraph, you know, from the promoter article and and. To give the people something, you know, other than pictures. And uh, I also had the, I did a thing there for a while where uh, I would have somebody do a story on somebody. Uh, I did one on Lieutenant Wright, the head of security for the, for the uh, for us at the Omni and the Auditorium. I did a story on him. I did a story on, uh, uh, I don't remember who all I did them on, but, but just doing something different and, uh it was uh, then you got to deal with the printer, and then you got to make sure you get enough and not buy too many because you don't want to have them for the next hundred years. You try to move them and get right. rid of them. But I was putting out a, I put out an issue when I took it over from Freddie. I put out an issue every time we ran an Omni show. That was my guideline for putting a new program out. Hmm. And of course, when Freddie was doing it, he was putting one out every Friday for the Auditorium.
1: Oh yeah. And if uh, when I'd work Griffin after you know he'd do that uh, Griffin the next week, it would be that that program,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, the fans wanted to make sure that there was a sheet in there with the uh, the night's matches on it. And uh, well, I started they,
3: even when Freddie was doing it. I started doing those. I got some of those blank. He was paying the printer to print inserts for the towns, like he'd get a hundred copies for Griffin, or he would get a hundred copies for. I think that was the minimum the printer would do was 100 copies of that little. So I I told him one time, I said, get some blanks. You know, it had a little border around it or whatever, and it said tonight's card at the top of it. I forget exactly what it said, but I took took those and started typing them on a typewriter in the office.
0: And then I would take them and run
3: them off on a Xerox and just cut them. Uh, Saved a whole lot of money by doing it that way.
1: Yeah, he was paying me a percentage to sell the programs in Griffin before you know the matches would start. Before I'd do the ring announcing. Right. and uh, there, you know, the program there wouldn't be a book. There wouldn't be the little thing in there for the for the uh, for the matches for that night. So I'd get them from Freddie on Saturday, and I'd do exactly what you did. I'd take the you know you know the blank one and uh, type them in. Some folks listening may not realize what you could do with a typewriter, uh, but. Uh, you could actually type stuff in there and uh on paper that wasn't on a computer and uh you know people people bought it
3: yep we are yeah. getting
2: down to about ten minutes so i wanna i wanna we mentioned him briefly at the top of the program i wanna talk a bit a little bit about uh tamayo soto um his real name was uh let me think. I should know this. Victor Alberto Tamayo was his real name. Among the different names he used was Tamayo Soto, which, believe it or not, was a Japanese gimmick in Tennessee. Um, Joe Soto, Alberto Soto, which was his real name. Uh, Rocky Tamayo, Joe Tamayo. I said Joe Soto under a mask he was uh one of the black monsters in nineteen sixty three with a guy by the name of Thomas Riande. And uh they worked Mobile, Tennessee and I think they came through Atlanta at some point. Seems like Chuck Chuck Thornton told me they came through Atlanta at some point. And then his best known mask mask gimmick was he and Frank Martinez were the blue demons in Louisiana, Florida, and uh, the Gulf Coast, and then came into Georgia as the Super Assassins.
1: Yeah, remember them quite well. They changed Will.
2: their name to the Super Assailants.
1: Right. So, that when was you, either North one North. of you guys
2: ever. Well, you, that was before either one of you were actually in the business when they were Right, in. but I
1: I remember that bit where they were the Super Assassins, and then. Uh, Tom Ernesto came out there under the mask, of course, and said, uh, "You know, we're the assassins," and uh, they had they changed the name on the air.
2: And didn't didn't they do a mask versus mask thing? I were think
1: they, they did that too.
2: Yeah, I know Galento managed them. Didn't he come in initially as their manager under a mask?
3: Yes.
1: I've seen some pictures, but for some reason or another, I don't actually remember him working with them, but I guess he probably did.
3: Yeah, he was their manager. I remember that deal. But that that was, uh, yeah, there was uh, Joe Tamayo. When you said Joe Tamayo, I didn't recognize the other names. But I remember, I, I can't remember if I was actually ever in the ring with him, but I know I saw him work a lot.
2: Yeah, that was the name he used in uh in Georgia. Yeah. And then he was also Inca Peru in Oklahoma. And a variation of that in Japan, he was Inca Peruvian. And he also toured Japan one uh, one tour of Japan as the, the blue devil. So he was uh had a long career and I I didn't realize when he came into what year were they in Atlanta? Sixty nine? Sixty-eight, sixty-nine, something like that, or It, the something, something it like was
0: that. before that, wasn't it? Well, they were in Mo-
2: Well, he, well, Frank Martinez and Al Green were in Mobile as the the Blue Demons in '70, and Tamayo and Frank were in Tampa in '69 as the Blue Devils. No, no, the Blue Demons. No, they, that was '68. They were down there as the Blue Demons.
1: So it had to be, you know, 68 or so. I thought you were still talking about the super assailants, but, uh...
2: That's who I am. I am. It's basically the same team. But what what I'm
1: saying, using that name, name. they were using the name the Blue Demons by then?
2: Um, I don't know which they did first, whether they did the Demons first or whether they they did the... I think they did the Demons first and then became the uh, super assassins. But anyway, um... When when they were here, he was pushing forty at that point. When they were in Atlanta, because he was, he was born in 1930, he first came into Mobile with Riande as the Black Monsters in '63, and uh, they did a deal with the uh, with the Medics and a mask versus mask thing, and lost their mask to the Medics. And they identified them as Thomas Riande and, and um, Alberto Soto. And I'm almost positive Chuck Thornton told me that the, the monsters came through, or through um, Atlanta and unmasked too.
1: And the same, did the fans the same actually know? Did the fans actually know much about who they were when they unmasked?
2: No, they'd never. Neither one of them had ever been at least in Mobile, neither one of them had ever been
1: there before. I, you know, I can I can sort of remember that with those guys uh, that, you know, it didn't mean a lot when they unmasked because the fans didn't really, rec- uh, you know, relate to them.
2: It wasn't somebody that they were familiar with under a, under the mask. Right. Sometimes that was a good thing because you could tell a guy, you know, no matter, you know, how many masks he put on, you could always tell if it was him, if it was somebody who had been in the territory for a fairly right. long time. Of- lengthy
1: time um and it it helped the mid-card guy sort of sometimes uh working particularly as a tag team putting the mask on they could you know go up from working mid-card up to working semi or main events
2: right right but some guys like rocket monroe you can do whatever you want to with him you're still gonna know it's rocket monroe true (laughs) <laughs> they tried They tried that in, in Mobile. They put him under a mask, called him Mr. R. <laughs> they did it one time. I think some kid stopped him on the way to the ring and said, You're Rocky Monroe. <laughs> he went back and told Rocky McGuire, This ain't going to work, bud.
0: <laughs> right, Charlie, you know,
3: to, Charlie Smith or Charlie Harbin told the story. I can't remember who told it to me. They put Charlie Harbin under a mask. If you ever saw Charlie Harbin walk, there was nobody else in the world walk like that. And they put Charlie under a mask, and he walked out of the dressing room, and some little old kid about twelve hollered, "Charlie Harvin. And they said, stopped <laughs> stopped, Looked at him, said, "Shut up, kid! You're not supposed to know who I am."
0: <laughs>
3: you know,
1: that, that, that's true. A lot of guys, you know, Rocket had a, you know, a particular walk, and uh, you know his features were were pretty prominent even under the mask, unless it was extremely tight. Uh, so, you know, that's I, I can believe that with ease. Some guys were a little more difficult to figure out, but uh, I, I think, you know, the smart fans or the fans that, you know, said they were smart or didn't use that term because they didn't know what the term was, but, the, you know, they were there every week uh, consistently, and by the time they started being able to see the magazines and whatnot uh, and guys working in other circuits, it wasn't difficult if they were fairly well-known uh, to figure out who the guy was under the mask if they were coming in new, you know?
2: I tell you something, you're talking about distinctive walks. Kurt Von Hess was another one. He had been in Mobile um, in 77, the last year that Lee had it, and uh, he'd been there most of the year. And uh, so I saw quite a bit of him. And then uh, when, he, um, when Lee sold to Fuller, Fuller had, a, a, uh, had his own assassins team, and it was Roger and uh, Roger Smith and, and Randy Colley. And then uh, one of them left. I, I, remember, I think it was Roger that left, and they brought Kurt Von Hess and put him under the hood. And that, I could tell the minute he walked down the aisle. I, well, he was smaller than Roger, so I knew that right away. But then the way he walked, I knew exactly who it was. Well, that that was in '78, and then later on in '78, they started uh, showing these interviews of the Mass Superstar. He was coming in and working matches in Mobile, and they were doing taping the interviews. You know, it was Freddie or Gordon interviewing Bill Eady. That was the interviews. When the Mass Superstar wrestled, it was Kurt Von Hess. And you could tell that he had that same walk. I could tell just by the way he walked that it that, that was Kurt. He was just so so distinctive.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, we're down to a minute and a half, uh, Mike. If you're Bobby, if you got anything to want to wrap up with or talking about what's going to go on in the next few weeks.
2: No, I don't have anything thing happening. Just remember, everybody, that this, this weekend uh, set your cl- clocks back.
3: That's right. Yeah. Are we going to uh are we gonna do a Thanksgiving show this year? That's up to you guys. I'm I'm up for it. I'm available if if we wanna do one. The right.
1: the the Thanksgiving is Thursday. I mean yeah it is Thursday, it always is. But
3: uh it, normally couple, it is, yeah.
1: Yeah, no big brainer here. It's just, uh, Jay West, it's on Thursday night Yes, I was even putting that in my book So we will plan to do A Thanksgiving night show
0: Okay You, uh, you know,
1: you want, you want to kind of I mean, we could go over the Thanksgiving I mean, I know it's been yeah, done
2: we, we do, That's generally what we've done every year So yeah, we'll we'll do that Okay <clears throat> Sounds All good right, to me time, Well, Mike. the bell has rang So uh, we're we've reached a Broadway So We'll get together and do this again next week, guys. Have a good time, guys. I will talk to you later. All right.
0: Good night. Good night. Good night. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.